Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today we're going to be talking about the Institute of Masters of Wine, which is one of the most elusive and prestigious wine accreditations in the world. And we have a special guest, Mark DeVere, Master of Wine, Director of Fine Wine Education at Constellation Brands. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. I was wondering if you could give Peter and myself a little introduction on your background and your career in the wine industry before we dive into the, all the IMW stuff. Sure, absolutely. As you've probably worked out from my accent, I grew up in the United Kingdom in Oxford. I actually started studying wines in some ways when I was at university because, of course, in the UK, the legal drinking age is 18. So I was exposed to wine seminars. We had the luxury of having a blind wine tasting team, which was kind of cool and a really good way to start focusing your attention on what you're tasting and thinking, what does that sensory data input mean, as it were? And so I had a good grounding in wine and then started working in the local wine shop in Oxford in the UK. I worked for a few different retail and wholesale outlets in the UK. Then I had the good fortune to go to Australia for a while and worked in wine production and vineyards. And sort of during those early years, I took the Wine and Spirits Education Trust exams, those excellent sort of education programs and really got to learn about wine. But I was always intrigued by wanting to understand more than that. So working in vineyards and talking to winemakers and actually pruning, I could answer the exam questions on pruning, but I never really understood it until I actually pruned and stuff like that. So that was a great introduction, a real understanding of the other side of the business from the retail and wholesale. And then April 1997, I moved to California for what I thought was a six-month summer job at Robert Mondavi Winery. And shortly after that, I passed the Master of Wine exam, and I'm pleased to say they kept me. So Nearly 24 years later, I'm still based at Robert Dovey Winery and working with the other fine wines in Constellation's portfolio and happily living in Napa Valley. I feel like that's a common occurrence with people coming to visit California temporarily and then staying for a little longer than they expected, even with the very high taxes. <laughs> you can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. Yeah. So focusing a bit back on the Institute of Masters of Wine or the IMW, to the point where today there's a little over 400 MWs globally. Could you give us a little bit of a history of the IMW? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, we celebrated 10 new MWs just announced last Friday. So another intake just happened. I think that brings the current number of members of the Institute of Masters of Wine to 418. Although I believe over the years, over 490 people have actually passed the exam. The exam started in 1953 in the United Kingdom in London. And back then, the UK or the London wine trade was one of the most globally focused wine trading places in the world. Obviously, there were many producing countries, but in terms of trading wines, I think many people thought, or certainly people in London thought they were, as it were, the capital of global wine trading. And so started the Master of Wine exam. And it was a trade exam and continues to be primarily a trade exam, really a way to measure who was a master of the overall wine trade and all the ramifications of that and understanding the global issues of 
producing and growing and making and bottling and packaging and marketing and commercialization of wine and so on. And so 1953, I think if I recall correctly, 20 people from the wine trade showed up and sat the exam. There was no pre-qualification, I don't think, in those days. Six people passed and the exams continued every year except Sadly, last year, 2020, but basically every year since then. Originally, back in the 50s, it was UK only. There were the first non-British masters of wine were people from overseas who, uh, Australia primarily, and the US who moved to London to work in the UK wine trade and then took the exam there. And really since the 80s, it's been a global exam and we certainly feel it's a global organization. There are MWs in over 30 countries around the world now. and There are multiple locations for the sort of what we call the residential programs. And you can sit the exam when in normal situations in London, Australia, or in the United States, in California. So there are multiple locations around the world. The, the examiners who are primarily anonymous, but live all around the world. And it's very much a global organization now, even if the head office, as it were, remains in London. It's a pretty cool global community. And so you said it was started as a trade body, as an accreditation for the wine trade. And what is the role that it plays in the market today? Is it to broaden the educational acumen of the wine trade and to keep developing that? Or does it have a different purview and mandate? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. And whenever asked that, I always return, and not to seem too contemporary issues like, but returning to the mission statement or the vision, as it were, of the Institute is always my best way to answer that. And the Institute Master of Wine exists to promote excellence, interaction, and learning in the global wine trade. And that, to me, pretty much sums it up. It is a community. One of the things I often point out, because it's not just a technicality, in some ways, I think it's an important way of how the Institute is perceived, is it's not primarily an educational organization. In fact, I would say it is specifically not an educational organization compared to, for example, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, the WSET, who are an education organization. Their remit is to teach people about wine, to teach stuff about wine. They have content, they teach it, they and they examine their content, as it were. Whereas the Institute Master of Wine, it doesn't have a global team of educators. And the nature of what the Institute of Master of Wine exam examines is, in its very nature, not teachable, because it's almost, in my opinion, limitlessly open-ended, which shouldn't sound too intimidating because the point is you're examining mastery in the world of wine. And when you're examining the world of wine, anyone operating at that level, thinking about the world of wine at that level, gets it that if it's something relevant to the wine trade, it's sort of by implication part of the exam. So what the Institute of Master Wine does, apart from organizing opportunities for interaction, which would include tastings in the UK, in the US, in Australia. Every four years, there's a symposium. I can't believe it's 2022 next year already. Next one will be in Adelaide next year, and you don't have to be an MW to join. It's just promoting interaction. And then to me, the promotion of excellence and learning is what the exam does. And so the Institute of Master Wine is not an educational 
organization. But by setting the exam and by administering the exam, we set a goal, as it were. We set a bar for people to aim towards and to reach, as it were. And certainly, I recall when I got into the Master of Wine program, I just finished the WSET diploma, I wanted something to stretch towards. I wanted a format, as it were, to structure the direction of my learning and feed, as it were, nourish my appetite for understanding this beautiful wine business. And to me, that's what the Institute of Masters of Wine primarily does, is to set the exam, it sets a bar, and it gives people an incentive to set their aspirations for learning a little higher and aim towards cracking that challenge. So one person put it to me as like in a martial arts analogy is saying it's like, it's like once you get your black belt, you're now just to understand how much you really don't know. <laughs> and so do you feel somehow that like once you get to the MW, you realize like now you're ready to learn even more because you've passed all those rigors. You now realize how big the world of wine really is. Absolutely. And I think wine is definitely one of those subjects where the more you learn about wine, the more you realize you don't know about wine. But also to add to that, one of the, I think, beautiful gifts that I got from the Master of Wine program is the ability to look at things from many different points of view and the ability to understand different arguments and not necessarily you don't have to agree with them, but to understand them and engage with them in a way that you understand their point of view and to be able to argue pro them or for them or against them as it were. But the understanding that not only is there more to learn about wine, but there's an infinite number of different points of view about all that understanding. And there's so many different ways of looking at it. And that to me is the beauty. And that to me is what brings the world together is understanding that there are lots of different points of view and being, I don't want to say tolerant, but being understanding of different perspectives is a great gift in life in general, not just in the world of wine. So obviously, like a lot of people look towards the MW versus the MS in terms of other bodies. I'm curious if you can compare and contrast like where they're similar or where they're different between the court and the IMW. And I always preface this by saying I'm not really qualified to talk about the Master Sommelier exam because I do not have that qualification. I've not been through that process. However, just a few things that I can see as slightly different. First of all, the MS program is more structured in its ladder, as it were, and brings people in and gives, if I say lower level, you know what I mean, but there's a ladder of structure before you get up to the master sommelier exam, whereas that's not the same in the Institute of Masters of Wine. There's one exam, the Institute of Masters of Wine exam that you have to pass to become a master of wine. Another big difference, I think, is that there's no practical side to the Master of Wine exam. I used to joke, nobody ever checked that I knew how to use a corkscrew or open a bottle of wine. I think it's kind of implied, but there's no service side to it or practical side in that sense of the practical service side. Uh, There is another difference I would say is that, to the best of my understanding, that the Master Sommelier program is largely delivered live and orally and in person, as it were. It's an oral exam, whereas the Master of Wine exam is completely written. All your answers are written. And so that challenges the brain and challenges applicants or candidates in a different way. Some would say that the different paths, as it were, the Master Sommelier grew more out of the art of being a sommelier and presenting wine to people and bringing wine into people's experiences, whereas the Master of Wine grew out of 
trading wine and out of the overall business side of the world of wine. Although, of course, in both qualifications, there are people involved in every aspect of the world of wine. So you mentioned the IMW is not an educational body, but to become an MW, you have to pass the study program, which includes the MW exam. Could you give us an overview of the study program? Yes. And so the study program, and that's what we call it, it's giving the right name for it without implying that we're going to educate people or teach people anything specific. The goal of the study program, I can't remember when it was introduced, maybe 20, 25 years ago or so, the goal was to help orient people in some ways and give them an understanding of what the end goal is and help people get their minds into the process and understanding, especially as the exams become more global. And especially as we were just saying, it's written answers. And a lot of people are not trained, if that's the right word, in how to communicate through the written word in clear, powerful ways. So helping people understand that, helping people get an idea of both the depth of the challenge and the breadth of the challenge, and helping people remember that you've got to be thinking globally and understanding the world's wine business. You can't just be a specialist in one beautiful wine in one part of the world. You've got to have a global understanding. You've got to have an understanding of every stage or part of the process in the wine trade from growing grapes, making wine, the packaging and quality control and the business side of it and social issues. So really everything from the land, the vineyard, planting the vineyard all the way through to the wine landing on the table at the final end, as it were. And certainly the what we call the practical exam, the tasting part of the exam, you've got to understand the finished product and understand what's in the glass. And I think a, another part of the goal of the study program and the process of getting people ready is that they're helping people understand how to think about what we call the practical exam, the tasting exam. There are many people I've known over the years, brilliant journalists who write amazing tasting notes and have to recalibrate, as it were, the way they communicate about wine in order to bring their tasting ability to apply to the specific questions and specific wines being addressed and assessed in the MW exam. So it's an orientation. It's a training in what you need to aim for. But at the end of the day, it's a self-study program. You have to go out and study yourself. You have to understand the world of wine yourself, and you have to do all your own research and then practice your abilities. And it is tailored towards helping people pass the MW exam. But as I often say, I think it's a worthwhile exercise, even if it didn't lead to the exam or passing the exam, because it teaches you to think differently about the world of wine, in my opinion. Well, there's three stages to the study program. Could you give us an overview of each of those stages? Yes. So stage one, as we call it, we used to call it the first year program, but many people (laughs) stayed in it for more than one year. And so part of the way we've rearranged things, as it were, is to make it more of a logical flow through the program, stop people feeling like they get stuck in a certain area. And the idea with what we call stage one now is 
in some ways, your first orientation into the program. And at the end of stage one, there is a stage one assessment. And in many ways, the role of that assessment is to see if you get it, as it were. First of all, is your knowledge and understanding of the world of wine enough? But do you get the challenge or have you got it yet that it's about answering specific questions, not just about knowing a lot of stuff, as it were? And can you bring that knowledge and understanding to bear on specific questions. And of course, importantly, are you thinking about it at the level of understanding the issues and not just regurgitating content, as it were, and showing that you know a lot? Do you understand the issues? And then once you pass the stage one exam, stage two, as we call it, used to be known as second year, but stage two might last more than a year for some people, is really the final preparation year when we hope that People in the MW program are really focusing on getting ready to sit the exam, to assess themselves and to address that challenge of the MW exam. And then in the normal course of events at the end of stage two, so prior to that, you would come to a residential seminar once again and get some coaching, get some practical feedback. And then at the end of stage two, the first two parts, as it were, of the Master of Wine exam, which are the closed book exams. And as you know, there are three two and a quarter hour blind tasting exams that comprises what we call the practical exam. And in those three exams, there'll be 12 blind wines each and you'll be asked questions about them. And then there's five timed theory exams addressing the theory of the world of wine. We can talk more about that later. And then the third part is what we call the research paper, formerly known as the dissertation, but it's a piece of personal research on a topic chosen by the candidate, pertinent to the world of wine, but something new, and really, in some ways, assessing how well the candidate can do primary research and report it in a credible, clear way. I'm curious, what's the longest someone's been in one of those phases that you've heard of? Well, That's something that has changed over the years because it used to be an open-ended thing that some people would come into the program and stay in the program for a long time. And I hope we're getting a lot out of it. Sometimes part of what they got out of it was being able to say, I am an MW student and weren't really getting any closer to sitting the exam. So there are now time limits set on how long you can stay in the exam. So the fact that there might have been people in the past who were there for many years, there are now time limits, and it's a slightly sliding scale. But I think I've got this right. But overall, I think you have five years in a normal time to finish everything. Once you sit the exam, you're only allowed a couple of years in stage one, otherwise you have to take time off. So the idea is to try and make sure that only people who are prepared or ready to get prepared get into the program and that they don't get stuck there. And if they're not moving forward, they need to take some time out and reassess where they are before they come back in it. So there are rules, but they're not meant to be draconian on the people. They're really meant to just help everyone involved in the process move forward in the right way. Are there still time limits on the research paper? I remember Morgan Twain Peterson, I think, was there for like a decade or something. I'll have to check that, but I don't think there's a time limit on the research paper on the stage three now. So, yeah. So the MW exam is famous for being the hardest wine exam in the world. Why do you think that is? Well, there are a couple of reasons for that, I would say. It's partly the scope and partly 
what's being examined within that scope, and it's partly the nature of how it's being examined. So I think the first aspect is that the scope of the exam is so global, and there are a lot of people who are experts or really, really top of their field in the world of wine, but maybe haven't stretched themselves yet to think globally. And I've certainly, over the years, known people, for example, who might be the world's leading viticulturist, for example, however, doesn't have the full understanding of the wine trade and other commercial areas of wine. I've known people who might be the world's greatest expert on the world's finest wines, but the MW exam, you need to understand the other end of the trade, as it were, the everyday wine trade, the bulk wine trade, and those sort of things. I know people who might be the world's greatest expert on Burgundy. But you need to be more than that. You have to understand not only what's going on with Le Morachet, you have to understand what's going on with a $5 Australian Chardonnay, for example, and the issues in producing it and growing it and making it and commercializing it and packaging it, which will be completely different to growing Chardonnay in Le Morachet and commercializing that. So it's the breadth of the exam, I think, that it covers all styles of wine, the world of production of wine, and the world of wine sales. You can't just know how wine is sold in your particular market and how you do business, but understanding that business is done very differently in different countries and in different parts of the world and at different tiers in the business. The wholesale business, very different issues from the retail or from the restaurant side of things. So understanding that global breadth is important. I think another thing that makes it challenging is that just knowing a lot of stuff about the world of wine is not enough to pass the exam. And it's not what the exam is really looking for. As I think you've heard me say before, it's like you have to have a lot of knowledge. And I think a lot of the certainly introductory wine programs when we start learning about wine are designed to teach you stuff about wine. You learn, oh, that's the name of the grape variety in that region. That's the soil type in that region. That's the name of the place that makes this style of wine in Tuscany or whatever. You start learning the data and the details. And as you start accumulating knowledge of what happens in the world of wine, you start saying, oh, that's how this person makes wine. And that's how that person prunes the vines. And you build up a database and you need to have an extremely broad database of what's actually happening in the world of wine. But that's not enough. You need to shift to the level of understanding why that is relevant. And that's what drew me into the Master of Wine program in the early days. I was studying the WSET. I loved learning about wine. But every time I learned the soil in this place is such and such, I wanted to know, so what? Why does that enrich my understanding of the world of wine. And it was that so what? It was that call to understanding the issues that drew me in. And I think that is a conceptual leap for a lot of people who are really good at remembering stuff and giving answers to direct questions. The next challenge, of course, with that understanding is when you start traveling the world of wine and talking to people in the world of wine, you might 
to take an extreme example, which has probably happened to many people. I remember going to one winery and the winemaker passionately and lucidly saying, I do this because this is the right way to do it because of this. And you literally drive five minutes down the road and another winemaker working with the same grapes in the same region saying, no, I wouldn't do that. I do this because this is the right way to do it. And so understanding how to synthesize these different points of view and what makes everything work together. And to me, it's that synthesizing of understandings that is intriguing. And on the tasting side, or what we call the practical, the blind tasting side, it's not as simple as just guessing the wine right. And it's not a question of writing a beautiful tasting note. And I think a lot of people, when they start tasting wine or talking about wine or writing about wine, get really practiced at writing beautiful tasting notes or get really practiced at the game of, ah, I got it right. And what is the wine? Whereas the game, if I might call it that in the Master of Wine exam, is to show that you understand the wine and that you can not only accurately appreciate the sensory data that you're getting in terms of what the wine looks like, what the wine smells like, what the wine tastes like. You can also cross-reference that with a database of knowing what the world of wines tastes like and smells like. But then most particularly, you know, which aspects of that sensory data are relevant and pertinent to answering a specific question about the wine, which might be, how good is this wine? Might be, how was this wine made? Might be, what variety is the wine? Might be, what the wines come from. But you don't pass the exam by knowing that this wine is correctly Le Mont Rocher or whatever it is. You pass the exam by showing that you can accurately assess the wine and accurately explain why that sensory data leads you to a compelling explanation slash argument of why you believe it is Chardonnay from that particular origin, for example. And then I think the third aspect that makes it challenging for people is the nature of the exam. You can be the world's greatest wine taster and have all these other aspects down, but you never know what's going to be in the exam. So you've got to tie all that wealth of understanding to the particular question being asked. And in the tasting exam, the particular wine in the glass. And then you've got to take it beyond that particular wine and say, what is the particular question that's being asked about this particular wine? And how can I bring this understanding, this wealth of understanding to a bear to specifically answer that question? Similarly, in the theory exam, you never know what questions are going to come up there. And yet, everything you answer has to be pertinent to answering that question. And a lot of people might have a huge wealth of understanding or knowledge about the world of wine, but part of the challenge is having the agility to bring that understanding of the world of wine to bear on whichever particular question you choose to answer in the exam. Those are some of the reasons I think it's a good challenge. (laughs) So given all those complexities that you've just outlined in terms of passing the exams, I'm curious if you could speak a little bit about the general pass rate of the MW exam. Yes. And this is a tricky thing to answer, and I'll explain why. I'm not trying to get out of answering it, but I don't think there is a specific answer. And I certainly know, I haven't checked recently, but we used to find it very hard to track specific percentage pass rates. We used to say it was maybe 10% of people who sat the exam, but it's a challenging thing because multiple people take the exam multiple times. People who get into the first stage one and stage two might sit the exam. We never know 
oh, it's hard to track the exact numbers of how many end up sitting the exam and whether you include that in the pass rate. We've also, as it were, tried to if I say we've tried to increase the pass rate by making it a little more challenging to actually get into the Master Wine program and more challenging to actually get to sit the exam, it's not because we're trying to change the statistics. We're just trying to stop wasting people's time, as it were. And if they're not ready and not prepared, it's a favor to them to say, take some more time before you address this issue and before you join the MW program or before you sit the exam. And we don't want to waste the examiner's time. We don't want to waste the student's time if they would appear to be far from ready. So by extra screening of who gets into the process and who sits the exam, the whole point of doing that is to mean fewer people fail the exam. But that doesn't necessarily give you a good statistical answer on percentage or pass rates. So roughly, just because it's a funnel, essentially because of the multiple stages, right? So the people that enter the funnel every year in terms of that are accepted to, to go to stage one is to be able to sit the stage one assessment. That's anywhere like 75 to 100 or so? That yes, get entered I think so. Year? Yep, yep. Okay. Then from there, people get a letter and say like, hey, you're on to stage two. We'd like you to reset or come back later. Yes. So, well, so overall, I've heard and. I know people like statistics. I've heard people bandy around the number of maybe 10% of people end up passing. That's for the MW exam. That's stage two. Were you talking about stage one, Robert? I've heard it's anywhere from like 60, 70% in stage one. And the hard part with stage two is you could pass like I did theory, but not practical. And then I'm only sitting the practical and, you know, in the future. So how many people are studying in the program at any given time? Do we know that number? I'm just curious. Yeah, I think it's around 300 to 350, depending on the year. That sounds right. But if we think about it as the funnel, as you described, Robert, it's 75 to 100 people coming in and maybe somewhere between 10 to 20, 10 to 15 going out, having passed the research paper every year. So that's maybe anywhere from 15 to 20% of people who get into the program make it all the way through. So that's a lot of people potentially not passing or exiting the program in a different way because maybe they exited for some other reason. I'm curious on if you think that there is value in joining the program without actually receiving the accreditation at the end of the day. Well, my opinion is absolutely yes. I, however, have an approach to life where I think any experience is valuable. So I would preface it with that. However, I would also say that in my opinion, the reason I got into the Master Wine program over-delivered on my hopes and expectations, which was to, as it were, move to thinking about the world of wine in a different way, to understanding the issues in a different way, not just learning the data. If I say trivia, I love trivia, so I'm not trivializing trivia, but it's not just remembering all the stuff. It's understanding the issues and it helps you engage with what I think is a beautiful business, the world of wine, in a richer, deeper way. And it helps you, in my opinion, get the ability to multidimensionalize, see why there are different points of view. And to me, I think that's a wonderfully enriching way to approach something that I love, in this case, wine and the world of wine. It, I think, teaches you communication skills. One of the 
challenges we have is the written exam, the theory exam. Some people say, oh, it's essays. And yes, you could call them essays. And then some people say, well, I'm never taught to write an essay. One of the things I point out is, yes, I'm not going to say it's not an essay, but the challenge is not how to write an essay. The challenge is how to communicate clearly through the written word. And that is a universal skill. And when you learn the ability or refine your skills in communicating clearly through the written word, that to me is a great gift as well. So I found the process enriching. I hope people who get into the program, even if by the end of it, they don't get the accreditation or get the Master of Wine title, I hope it's been an enriching process anyway. As the program seen a rise in applicants in the last decade or so with popularity of like the Court of Master Sommiers because of the Saw movies and the WSCT seeing a rise in students? Yes, I'm not privy to all the data on exactly how many people apply, but I know it's a more global application now, people from many more parts of the world than there were 20 or 30 years ago, certainly. So yes, more and more people applying. I don't know what the driving forces behind that are, but as I say, we then have a process of screening better than we used to have. And so not everyone who applies get into the program. And so that's slightly, I'm not involved in the screening process, so I don't know exactly how many people apply. But yes, I definitely think there's more interest globally in addressing the Master of Wine exam. So one of the really topical and salient discussions of the last few years, even, or maybe even the last few decades, is diversity, both gender and racial including in wine. And we've recently talked to the Roots Fund and the Batonage Forum about that. How does the IMW think about this topic? Well, absolutely promoting diversity to the best of our ability. And as I say, excellence, interaction and learning to me, the foundation vision. And that is about inclusivity. And it's about promoting or supporting or encouraging or trying to inspire anyone to become more engaged and grow their expertise in the world of wine. There's as much as possible outreach to as many places as possible, as many groups around the world as possible. Having said that, on the other end of the process, one of the things that makes the Master of Wine exam different from some other examinations is that it is completely blind, as it were. So it's a written exam. The examiners never know who's in it. So there's no way to as it were, have discrimination or whatever, or to support anything at the blind end of the exam. But absolutely, as much as possible to encourage people into the program. I think when you look around the wine trade, it's slow to change, but it has been beginning to change. I think as the wine trade is becoming more global, that's helping as well. One of the things I know this is a slightly different issue, but I think 50 years ago, the wine trade was almost exclusively male, not just white male, but exclusively male. And now we have, I think, 150 female masters of wine in the Institute of Masters of Wine. So at least that side of it has changed. And I hope there'll be more change in the wine trade in general, in the world in general, and certainly encourage it and invite it in the Institute of Masters of Wine. So you've been an MW for a while now. I'm curious on how your life and career changed after becoming an MW and maybe you could articulate the true benefit that the accreditation provided for you. 
Well, there's a couple of ways to answer that. I'm going to preface this by saying, of course, when you become a master of wine, it's not just about passing the exam. It's about joining the Institute of Masters of Wine and signing the code of conduct that you will, cut a long story short, the code of conduct says you won't do anything to bring the wine business into disrepute or not do anything disreputable that would hurt the image of wine. That's the long and the short of it. When you join the Institute of Master of Wine, my feeling is that there's a call to give back to the community, give back to the master wine community, give back to the world of wine. And so that sense of being part of a community that is there to promote excellence and interaction and learning at the highest level. So joining that community definitely changed things in my life. It's Definitely, having said that, it's definitely cool to have the letters after your name, as it were, and the title does carry a certain amount of weight, which is hard to put a number on or put your finger on exactly how much does that make a difference. It's one of the things I've asked, you know, people sometimes say, did it make a big difference? It's like, well, similar to asking someone who just got their PhD, well, how much difference did it make in your life? Some people do nothing with their PhD. Some people use it to take their career to a whole new level. So there's no simple answer to that. I, of course, am in a particularly interesting situation because, as I mentioned, when I passed, I was working for a seasonal position at Royal Mondavi Winery. And when I passed the Master of Wine exam, fortunately, somebody said, hey, we've got a Master of Wine working for us right now. We shouldn't let him go. So it helped me keep the job that would naturally have expired at the end of the season, as it were. So, And I'm still doing evolutions of it 24 years later. So it literally made a huge difference in my life in that way. Yeah, I'm curious if people think about it, that it will add to compensation or just open up new opportunities. It seems like it opens new doors for a lot of people, from what I understand. I would hope so. I think it definitely could do. Well, the door it opened for me was being able to stay at Rotten W Winery and stay in Napa Valley. And so I'm very happy that that door was opened. But on the other hand, you've got to walk through the doors when they're open for you too. And you've got to find the doors and knock on them sometimes too. <laughs> right. So are there different events or communications that you're invited to once you become an MW? Is there something like a secret group wine tasting meeting? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're asking me if there's a secret society you don't know about. I see. <laughs> exactly. How do I answer that? <laughs> no, there's no secret handshake. There's no secret group. It's all pretty open, along with what I just mentioned, that you do join a cool community and so we travel the world. It's a nice way to connect with different people around the world. There is the symposium every four years, and it's cool to feel engaged in part of that if you choose to, but you certainly don't have to come. And as I mentioned, you do not have to be a master wine to attend the symposium. So it's not a secret society that by any means, it's a cool group. It's a really great organization to be a part of, and it's a good community, but there's... As far as I know, nothing secretive about it. So we are looking at wine in the end here. (laughs) And though the MW program requires serious study, wine, hopefully, there's an element of fun to it. How do you look at the fun element of being in the MW program and even being in MW itself? Well, I absolutely think it's fun. And I, again, should preface this by saying it's 24 years since I passed the exam. So I know for people studying towards the exam, it can become a little bit grueling and you definitely have to start addressing wines in a different way, in a more rigorous way. However, for me, 
that itself was intriguing and enjoyable and added to my interaction. Certainly since I passed the exam and I am not put on the spot all the time and asked to answer specific questions about blind wines all the time, I definitely think wine is about elevating life through enjoyment. I think fine wine is art for the palate. And so it's similar to, sometimes I use the analogy, it's like learning about other fine arts or visual arts or music. You don't have to be an expert on music to enjoy music. But some people find that if they study music and learn more about it, you engage in a different way. And you engage if I say richer, that's not meant to be an evaluative thing because anyone can enjoy music, but there is a level of engagement, which I find more enriching. And to me, that's what came to my enjoyment of wine. There's a richer engagement to understanding the context and the big picture and knowing that I've at some point passed a challenge around my ability to interact with wine in, if I say, a meaningful way, I mean, in a sort of engaged way. And I think that's part of the beauty of enjoying wine. I almost said wine appreciation, but wine appreciation is part of it, but that makes it sound a little snobby and a little distant. To me, it's about engagement and the understanding of how to engage with the flavors of wine, how to engage with the global diversity and wonderful nature of wine. To me, the greater enjoyment came through the greater engagement and understanding of why it's meaningful to engage in that way. Awesome. Mark, with every guest on our show, we always ask them to give us a couple predictions. And so we ask our guests to give us a lasting trend, something that you think will be around for a long time and is starting to grow. And a fizzling fad, something that you think is popular now, but is starting to wane in popularity. And I'd love for you to answer those uh, lasting trend and a fizzling fad around wine accreditation slash wine education. What do you think in terms of trends and fads? Ooh, around wine education. Well, I hope, can I answer this from a point of optimism? I, I hope that more people will get more interested in engaging with wine and learning about wine, not just for the headiness of it or not just for the qualification of it, but learning to engage. Because I believe that wine fine wine anyway, is a way to elevate. It's a way to promote interaction. It can be a way to bring people together. And so I hope there'll be a continuing trend of learning more about wine for the sake of increasing enjoyment and enriching lives and elevating the spirit and elevating life through wine. It's like an art gallery that you can consume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? Exactly. Yeah. In terms of a fizzling fad, something that I think is popular now, but is on the decline or will be on the decline? Oh, <laughs> I hope this is not really answering your question, but it kind of is. I hope that only doing tastings online will fizzle out and we'll be able to sit together around a table in the same room and be discussing the same wine out of the same bottle at the same time in the future. Nothing against how fortunate we are that we've had all this technology, but I hope the fad of only being able to do everything remotely and in different parts of the town or different parts of the world like this will fizzle out and that we'll return to coming together around a table and sharing the same bottle of wine. I think Peter and I are on the same page. We hope that fizzles pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to walk through the IMW with us in hope that our listeners found it very educational. Well, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, and I hope it's been fun. It has. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.